Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read historical fiction that's not about World War II, a retelling of a classic or fairy tale, horror from indie presses, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizes for those who complete the challenge with a bonus prize this year. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Kidlit These Days, a Book Riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your Kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, this week alongside Jen Northington, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on January 16, 2020. Jen, Happy New Year! Happy New Year! <laughs> I love that I get to hear your voice. For those that have not <laughs> met your name before, uh, you're our wonderful editor with Kidlit these days, and it's been so wonderful to get to know you being the one that woke welcomed me onto the website. Yeah! So thank you! You're so welcome! <laughs> no, it's so much fun to be on the show. Um, I, as uh, some people maybe know, I do the Get Booked podcast and the SFF Yeah podcast. And we do get to talk about kids' books sometimes on the Get Book podcast. But for a hot minute when I was a bookseller, I was stationed in the children's room of the bookstore because that's where my office was. And so whether or not I intended it, I got to be really good at kids' books. And I don't read as many of them anymore. Um, but it's a thing that I like. I love children's literature and I'm really excited to get a chance to talk about them with you. Well, I love that. And I am the librarian that obnoxiously tells all my teachers, you know, they're called everybody books. I'm going to read it aloud to you now because you are part of everybody. That's right. Do you know, my favorite thing to do when I was the one who was opening the bookstore back when I was a bookseller was to just grab a picture book off of the shelf. And it was like the last thing I did before I opened the doors was to read myself a picture book. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful, wonderful experience. I... Uh, once was challenged to read all of the books in my library by my oh. uh, library professor. She used to tell all of us that, oh, that's what she did in her library or school library in Texas that I've come to realize did not have 20,000 <laughs> items the way my library yeah. did. But I did challenge myself to try to read everything on the shelf to understand what's there, mm -hmm. what should be removed, yeah. uh, what should be centered more. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that... <laughs> quite quite smoothly this brings us into our yeah. topic for today <laughs> so why don't i why don't i bring us into this and then we'll hop to a sponsor the focus of today's episode is dismantling white supremacy now i will uh i will introduce myself this way to say that i am a white man um and i identify as white and um this is some hard work and heart-pounding work and important work, and it makes me feel alive to talk about this. I'm so grateful that you, Jen, also um, 
are able to join me here to talk about this and to unpack and to really wrestle with this topic. Yeah, as a white cis woman, it's really important to me to think about these things. And it is, it was actually really heartening when I was going through my list of kids' books of what I wanted to talk about, how much great stuff there is out there that is already doing this work. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Great. Well, I look forward to us getting into that. Uh, first, I want to throw us to our, our first sponsor. This episode is sponsored by The First Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington by Brad Meltzer and Josh Mensch uh, with Macmillan Children's. The year is 1776, <laughs> the early days of the Revolutionary War. It's supposed to, it supposedly began with Thomas Hickey, a private in the Continental Army and New York Governor William Tyron. And in an astonishing power grab, they plotted to kill Hickey's boss, a man by the name of George Washington. But to this day, nobody knows for sure if this story is true. In The First Conspiracy, Brad Meltzer sheds light on the close-kept secrets and compelling details surrounding this story and exposes the history of how the assassination plot catalyzed the creation of the CIA and the FBI. That is a history, Jen, I am, I am not totally aware nope, of. same. <laughs> Never heard of it. Wow. <laughs> so pick up a children's book, folks, and learn things that you as an adult did not know. <laughs> well, we are talking about white supremacy. We are talking about whiteness. We are talking about diversity. Uh, and I think that this is something that uh, has been on a number of people's minds. I especially uh, want to nod a hat to the We Need Diverse Books work, headed up by Ellen O and her team, and all of the work of publishing and librarians and teachers to bring diversity to the forefront. But I think in in thinking about what topic to cover this week, it was brought to my mind that as a child, I was not as aware, Jen, of my whiteness, or rather that that it was a thing. I knew and took for granted that I was white, but I did not realize then how many doors were opened because of the color of my skin, uh, what ease I was able to navigate the world because of color of my skin. And it's been as an adult and in, in working with students and, and working on diversity teams that I've been able to really work to unpack that. Can you recall your first noticing your whiteness? Is that the most awful way for me to word that? <laughs> it's true, though. You know, I this is something I have tried to think about more than once. And I honestly cannot come up with an answer, which I think just goes to show how oblivious I was to it. I grew up in a very, not completely, but very white, uh, small town in North Jersey. And even when we moved to South Jersey for high school, it just, I mean, there were obviously folks of color in my communities, and I interacted with them all the time, but I didn't think about it. It wasn't, you know, something I'm, I was aware of um, in terms of uh, as it, you know, part of a system or, you know, privilege conversations around privilege and challenges that they faced other than as individuals. Uh, so, you know, it's really kind of a bummer to me thinking about that none of the teachers or educators that I interacted with, you know, had us thinking about this. Um, and that also might be generational, you know, 
Um, I'm in my late 30s, and it just wasn't a conversation that was happening in my communities, and or at least not that I was a part of. So it was probably like late college before I understood that, you know, there were systemic biases at work. And it was later than that, that I really started to educate myself around it. I similarly had a path like that, but I I want to highlight that even in schools today, that that anti-bias work is not something that is implicit in education, especially, I would say, in history classes, Mm -hmm. in uh, elementary classes. I think that often in both of those places, we either have set curriculum, set books, set timelines that that are covered, or in in the case of of folks like me that work in elementary schools, I think there, there was and is often this notion of wanting to protect children, Mm. wanting to determine what we think they can or cannot handle, what they can or cannot process. Mm. Uh, But what I've come to understand as an adult is deeply problematic about that is uh, that we all know the color of our skin and we all know how others interact with us. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't we talk about that? That seems silly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I have no doubt that, you know, the kids in my communities from marginalized populations that I was interacting with were very aware of all of these systems. But, you know, I, it wasn't something anybody ever talked about to me. There are a number of organizations that are working to provide the tools to have those conversations because I also, it, it it came to my mind, um, Jen, you and I have talked that, that I have this other podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that I, I've done this other podcast, this, the Children's Book Podcast, for six and a half years. What I don't think I've ever talked about with you before uh, is that from that podcast, I used to do podcasting with my students. And I would show mm. them, here are the guests that I've had on. And um, here's how I do these interviews. And now let's all make podcasts together. Uh, and I've always valued on that show having pictures of the authors face out on the website for the podcast because... As a child, maybe you had the same experience. I never really knew that there were people behind books. Right. Uh, that wasn't a thing. I never had an author visit. Mm-hmm. I never went to, like, I don't know, a book signing or a book festival. These are all things that I talk up a lot with my students and I do with my children, but I don't believe I ever had that sort of access. I was more living, perhaps, in a book desert in that way growing up. But... um Working on podcasting with my children, I realized how the guests that I had on the show at the time, although they were wonderful guests and had amazing books, there were similarities about them and that most of them were white and many, many of them were men. And while that's not inherently bad or wrong, because it's just data, uh, I did recognize that it was speaking to values and really that that was speaking for me. And I wondered, am I comfortable with what this is saying to my children of color? Mm. That is there space for you and individuals like you on this podcast? Mm. Am I valuing that? And that, that was a turning point for me. But I'll say that in trying to do that work of, of teaching tolerance, it was hard 
that I felt like, do I have to make this up on my own? I don't have a curriculum. I don't have mm. guides. I don't know the way. I don't have a, a group at my school uh, of other educators that could support. And I, I wonder how many other listeners might be in that same situation that they want to do things. They know uh, that this is something that matters to them, but they don't really know how, how to take those first steps. Yeah, I think that it is so true that many of us are in positions where we can see the change that needs to happen, but it can be really hard to know where to begin. And especially you can know that you need a change without knowing the details of how that change is going to work and like what exactly it is that you need to learn. It can be, you know, because we know Sometimes that we don't know a thing, but then actually the full extent of that ignorance is not clear to us until we find the place to start, you know, unpacking and learning and filling in those gaps. And so, yeah, I, uh, I think it's very, I think it's so important to share with everybody that there are starting places and we have some for you. You have some amazing, I was looking at these websites when I was looking at the agenda, you have some amazing tools to share with people. They're so good. And what's even better, <laughs> because we have these great podcast listeners, is that a lot of these resources also have podcasts. Hey! So it's more podcasts. It's so good. <laughs> um, I value the the websites that I put on here in particular. I have used and my, my colleagues use their lesson plans, their educator resources, and most of these resources are free. They, um, However, the websites are being funded they make these resources widely available and accessible to educators. So that is something that is so, so important to to realize. I hope those of you that are listening that are interested will go to our show notes. It'll be at bookriot.com slash listen and find episode 21 of Kill It These Days. And we will have all of these in our show notes. Uh, the first I wanted to point to is Facing History and Ourselves, which is the, a name of a website that really speaks for itself. And I love that this website uh, provides teaching tools for K through 12 that allows us all to talk about our histories. Um, I, I, through some of this work that I've been doing, I've, I've become very sensitive over doing those history projects, Jen, where you're like, we're going to map where your family came from. Mm. Let's talk about what country your family came from. Because to not put too fine a point on it, my African-American students who are part of this history of enslavement that that is this dark history of our country meant that, that their history stops at a certain point because mm -hmm. we don't know where in Africa individuals came from. Um, in fact, I was just reading, uh, we're doing a mock Coretta Scott King in our library this Ooh. month. And um, one of the books we're reading is called The Undefeated by Kwame Alexander and illustrated by Kadir Nelson. And in that, there's a, a spread um, of uh, a recreation of that image of how the slaves were, were laid, were, were packed on the boat. Perhaps you've seen that image, mm -hmm. a historical image before. Um, but it brought up that opportunity to talk about that that beginning moment of not seeing these individuals as humans. But then we also have to be conscious when we are teaching that while teachers see, may have great intentions, 
we come from this privileged place of thinking, well, everybody comes from somewhere. You just have to go back far enough and you can, you can find where you come from. But that privileged thought um, is ignorant of, of our history. Mm-hmm. So not to put too fine a point on it, but, but facing history on ourselves allows teachers to reconcile that and to reconcile that with their students uh, through safe conversation and respectful conversation that, that uh, builds racial identity and builds respect for other racial identities. Another website that I also uh, am such a fan of their podcast is Teaching Tolerance. And when you go to a library conference or an educator conference, Jen, um, they always have tables up. Mm. If you ever go, like if we ever meet up at ALA or at NCTE, I'm telling you this because this is like the booth folks need to seek out because teaching tolerance always brings these uh, workbooks and printouts and lesson resources and they just hand them to you. Mm. So you can walk back to your school, you can walk, <laughs> fly back to your school, but you can walk into your school and have resources that, that you can reproduce. You can hand to colleagues or administration. You can teach immediately. And their podcast is so wonderful and covers such a, a wide variety of topics. Right now, they're looking at um, the history of indigenous enslavement and, and talking also about how teachers can engage in those conversations. And the third I wanted to share is a website called Teaching While White that, that again, I think the, the explanation is in the name. Mm. They also have a wonderful podcast, though, that comes out, I believe, monthly, if not every other week, uh, that, that is um, a resource that I return to over and over. I listen to their episodes uh, on repeat. Sometimes I, I revisit them. That's been really powerful. So I'm grateful to be able to know that, that, that we have resources out there. And more importantly, that you know, we have a community of educators that are doing this work. Reach out and ask what other people are using and contribute those resources that you've found yourself. We, we really make this community better by sharing. Yeah, this feels like a good moment to uh, talk about one of my favorite websites. Yeah. Uh, or, or slash organizations that has a website <laughs> because they're not just a website. It's uh, <laughs> showing up for Rachel just <laughs> showing up for racial justice, which is a great starting point, um, especially for, you know, if you are like me, a white person. And especially if you have not started having these conversations yet or don't have a community around you. Um, they have so many resources. They have local chapters. They have webinars. They have meetups. They have just fantastic, fantastic resources that will give you um, starting points and vocabulary for thinking about, you know, unpacking your own privilege, starting to do that work, starting to find you know, ways that you can put these um, tools to work in your own life and then what you can do to help others, you know, what, you know, um, legislation you might want to talk about or what you might want to do, you know, in your community, in your workplace, in your home. Uh, Really, really fantastic organization that I've I've gotten a lot of value out of. That does sound great. And it it makes me think in that way you noted about the local chapters and things, it makes me think about how for some teachers, the first step is going to be finding that community, Mm -hmm. finding that support where you can 
explore those biases that you have, because as you brought up biases earlier, they often you start facing the the biases that you have, those blind spots that you have, um, and only to realize that they're they're much bigger mm-hmm. than you realized. It it gets worse before it gets better. But what gets what's good about it getting worse is that you're able to see and explore and look at how you occupy the world and your space and how um, you can help to support, lead, guide, call out others. Um, I think about, uh, we have a teacher group on our campus um, where we're reading, or we have just finished reading White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin DiAngelo. And in that book, it talks about um, white solidarity and calling it out that often white people will protect other white people and just sort of brush it off that, oh, you know, Jim always says racist things, but he's just kidding around. Mm. Um, Getting past that kind of, I don't know, good old boy environment. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's how you describe it, but whatever. That, That environment that like, We've always been doing this since forever. They're just not meaning any harm. Right. And and challenging that and what it means to challenge that. We are starting into How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, uh, who uh, is also known for that amazing book called Stamped that um, was just or is about to be re-released for young people. Jason Reynolds helped to co- write the re-release oh wonderful fun times but um that seems like a great one to succession of books right Mm -hmm. having 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 books for for white people to talk about why it's hard to talk about race especially to point out that (laughs) there have been people of color talking about racism issues forever Mm mm-hmm the things that Robin D'Angelo tells us in White Fragility are not new. No. And she cites many, many, many books and resources from people of color, scholars, authors, uh, everyone uh, from activists to, to all, all, all places and backgrounds. And that is important because that information has been there. Mm-hmm. Why does it take a white person writing a right. book called White Fragility for many of us white people to be <laughs> into reading it? But um, to go from White Fragility into the work of Ibram Kendi is some powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, listeners, you feel that there's space here saved for you to step in where you are comfortable and to start exploring where you are comfortable and to know that there are there's allies and support there who want to do this work alongside you. Uh, we have another sponsor to talk about. Uh, and then after that, I think, Jen, we should get into some books. Yes. That sound good? That sounds great. great. So let's see. Our next sponsor is This Little Dreamer, an inspirational primer by Joan Holub from Simon & Schuster Children's Publishing. And this is a board book where you can learn all about dreamers who changed history. And this is for dreamers in training, which I think (laughs) hopefully all of our littles out there are dreamers in training. Um, And it highlights (laughs) 10 memorable dreamers who have paved the way. And parents and little ones alike will love this inspirational primer. It is full of fun, age-appropriate facts and bold illustrations. The illustrations really are 
adorable and uh it is the sixth book in the this little series so thank you so much to them for sponsoring the show again that's this little dreamer an inspirational primer by joan holub <laughs> baby lit as it, i've come to learn it's called is getting to be like prime right now oh my gosh well and one of my picks actually is what i would consider I baby lit I yes <laughs> It I love is. that it's not just get your, you know, whoever's showering the baby. Don't just get that newborn baby of a, a, a reprint of a classic. There are right. new books being written explicitly for babies. They are being written straight to the board book format. Mm-hmm. Why don't Why don't you start us off? We can't tease that out and not right. talk about it. <laughs> well, yes, this is one of my favorite baby shower gifts. I'm not going to lie. It's A is for Activist by Inosanto Nagara. And this is an ABC board book. But it is amazing because, you know, A is for things like activism. And it talks about environmental justice and civil rights and and, you know, food scarcity and LGBTQ rights. And it is so beautiful. Like this book, I just adore the art in it to no end. And it's so funny to see people leaf through it because there are some really big words in this book and big, heavy concepts. And I think a lot of people are like, this is obviously not for babies. Like these words are not baby appropriate. But what I will tell you is that the whole point of this book is to give you a place to start a conversation. And it's not about your child already knowing these words. It's about you getting to talk about these words and concepts with your child. It's got a really fun rhythm to get into. And on every page, you can try to find the cat. So, like, you don't have to just, (laughs) you know, talk about social justice. You can also talk about cats or whatever else is going on on the page. There's lots of really fun multi-layered illustrations to get into. And it's it actually really, like, the more you look at it, the more... I think you can see how genius it is. And I think it's a really fun read aloud. So, yeah, that's that's A is for Activist by Inosanto Nagara. And it comes in Spanish as well. It does, yeah. I love that book. I think it's gorgeous. And I love that the nature of board books is often that we read them over and over mm-hmm. and over and over. And to know in that way that you are bringing those words into that family's vernacular over and over and over. And also that, you know, bigger siblings sometimes are within earshot when you're reading mm-hmm. those baby books. So it's 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 a great book for, for different ears listening. I want to start with a picture book that my one of my colleagues shared with me that I was floored by. And when I shared it over social media, a bunch of my friends were like, oh yeah, we saw that book too. It's amazing. <laughs> it's called Not My Idea, a book about whiteness, which is a part of a Ordinary Terrible Things series by Anastasia Higginbottom. This uh, is, I think, the first and also um, most effective <laughs> tool I've seen for speaking to children about whiteness. Uh, I have the first picture book that I've ever seen address it so frankly. And as a tool, it's such a wonderful go-to. It um, centers on a child, a a mom turning off the news because of a police shooting being uh, reported on. 
and the child is asking about it. And right from the start, um, Anastasia's text, I'm going to flip to it here because sometimes the best way to book talk is to read aloud. Her text reads, when grownups try to hide scary things from kids and the mom watching the TV says, oh, not again. The child says, what? Mom, what? Not again. Text continues, it's usually because they're scared too. Hmm. The child says, who is that with their hands up? Why is that policeman screaming at him? And it proceeds through a lot of those things that you and I were talking about at the top of the show. A lot of those things that we, uh, or maybe that we even didn't talk about. I remember one of the things I, I would say from a childhood that I remember is that whenever we drove into the city or whenever we drove into DC, I remember that I was always told to lock my doors. Mm. That was the moment I was told to lock my doors. And I never thought about it until I started doing this work with children and realizing that's there. You're locking because of you're implying that it's a not safe neighborhood. And those not safe neighborhoods we were driving through were often neighborhoods that were predominantly African-American or Hispanic. Um, this book in a frank and respectful way talks uh, to children about the power we exude in our whiteness, in muting some stories, in changing conversations, uh, in explaining away or defending whiteness. Um, but I love that the language she also brings up is that I'm going to find it here. She writes, you can be white without signing on to whiteness. Hmm. That this notion that whiteness is and has always been a bad deal and that we don't need to stand for this, that we can challenge it and upend it. It's a beautiful and powerful book and one that, you know, Jen, you could probably picture us in the library reading a book to kids and then doing an activity. This is a book where I bet on each spread we could stop yeah. and have a discussion or do an activity for for every single spread. This might be the next book you start. <laughs> for all those families, you got A is for activists. Right. <laughs> the next book is going to be, okay, now I'm getting you, not my idea, a yeah. book about whiteness by Anastasia Higginbottom. It, it's, it's so powerful. It really is a book I think that I fail to give justice to by book talking that you really need to just go and pick it up and, and see for yourself. Well, I got chills when you were reading from that. So that is at least well done there. Mm. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so I have, I'm going to try my best to like double picture book talk, which is probably asking for trouble. But here we go. I knew when we were prepping for this episode that Matthew would have, I was very confident that he would have picks that were actually engaged, you know, with actively doing the dismantling and unpacking work. And I was thinking about, um, I have a niece who is adopted and her biological mother is from El Salvador. And one of the things that I have been trying to do with her, and also actually we get these kinds of questions a lot on Get Booked, is to find books that center kids of color, just like going about their days, living their best lives. Because while there is so much pain and so much struggle that we need to be aware of and to address. There's also so much joy and so many opportunities. And I think um, it's also important to celebrate, you know, people from marginalized populations like living their best lives. So I have two picture books that I adore that I think do this really nicely. 
The first is Nino Wrestles the World by Yuyi Morales, who I am sure y'all have talked about before. Oh my word, always. Right, right? like Yuyi Morales <laughs> forever. Her books are amazing. And this one is so much fun. It's about a little boy named Nino who is like in his underwear on the front cover, wearing his Lucha Libre mask, like ready to take on the world. And it's just so sweet. It's a really fun read aloud. Um, and Nino has all kinds of skills. He is like a champion popsicle eater and somersault and also obviously he is very into lucha libre and this is just about him like having so much fun and being his amazing self and yui morales's you know pictures and illustrations are always stunning and this one is just so much fun to read there's sound effects there's action it's just ugh. Ugh, I just love it. I love it. Um, and then and there's a sequel. And there's a sequel, right? I always forget that there's more than one, which That's is all right. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, the fun thing about about Zhuzhi's work is that also as you go through all of her books on her library shelf, the art is different in every single thing. She's so versatile. Yes, her style it does morph from book to book. It's so true. It is. It's so true. But I love all of them. I love all of those oh, stories completely. <laughs> and now I know how to say her name correctly. So thank you for that. Um, so let's see. Oh, right. And then my second pick that I'm just going to like shoehorn in here, another really fun one, is The Dinosaur Department Store by Richard Merritt and Lily Murray. And this is about a little girl named Eliza Jane who wants a dinosaur for a pet for her birthday. And she is, uh, her family is, uh, it's a mixed race marriage and she herself is biracial. And you see her, you know, talking to her parents at dinner, telling them like, they're like, don't you want a bunny? Don't you want something else? And she's like, no, I really want a dinosaur. So they go to the dinosaur <laughs> department store, but then things turn out a little bit differently than you might expect. And this is one of my favorite read alouds from the past couple of years. It has such a fun rhythm to it and the pictures are great and there's there's some really really fun like can you find what's going on in this picture moments um to stop and pause with kids to look at like oh what are these details telling us about what's going on in the story and yeah again eliza jane is just like she's just doing her thing being herself having a great time with all of these amazing dinosaurs it's so much fun uh so yeah so that's the dinosaur department store by richard Merritt and lily murray jen i do not know that book <gasps> oh that made me so excited i was like i have never heard of that i need to find it now you have got to get it <laughs> and you wait till you get to read it out loud matthew you are going to i feel like you will love it i feel like you will Whoa. love it oh books that read aloud well too oh, mm. such a gift mm -hmm. such a gift so actually this is sort of a neat weird tie unexpected tie-in to that i have a middle grade um resource book that reads aloud really really well and could be used in a classroom or for a child to just go through and 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 explore racism and where you come from and identity and mm, all of the things it's called this book is anti-racist 20 lessons on how to wake up take action and do the work it's by tiffany jewell who is an anti-bias, anti-racism educator uh, in a Montessori school. 
um, north from here. I'm not sure exactly where. I can't remember, <laughs> but north from here. Tiffany is amazing. She on Instagram um, does uh, with a colleague uh, the Anti-Racist Book Club. Mm. She's a fun one to follow. Uh, the Ill- it, it has beautiful spot illustrations by Aurelia Durand. Uh, but this book, as it says in its subtitle, is broken into 20 sections, breaking down in very clear, easy to digest terms what is racism? Where does it come from? Why do people act this way? How do we disrupt it? It's it's beautiful. I love that the description uh, reads, learn about social identities, the history of racism, and the resistance against it, and how you can use your anti-racist lens and voice to move the world towards equity and liberation. That is great language right there. Mm. Uh, Tiffany is a teacher, as I mentioned, and is a wonderful resource. And this book is so impressively voiced. I just, I, it's as if you're you're in a class with Tiffany. If As if you're, I don't know, she just gives you the language and it's clear. It's what it needs to be. You're not wading through stuff. Uh, it's a book that I bought for a number of people on our campus. The day it came out, it came out last week as of recording this. And I was like, oh, you all need to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, buy it for your... I, I would say the book is probably best used with children ages, I'm going to say nine and up. Um, probably uh, the, 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 the sweet spot is upper middle school and high school, but teachers could make great use of this book. And um, hopefully next time I bring up the book on the podcast, I'll be like, and there were all these students on campus doing a book study of it. And they're <laughs> amazing. Um, but Jen, when you get a chance, Google this book because Aurelia's design work on it is, it, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's a design that will make you want to take the book off the shelf. It's, it's one of those kind of designs. Mm, oh, so I love pretty. a good book design. Well, I just, I like as you were talking was following Tiffany Jewel on Instagram. <laughs> so, right? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh so let's see. My next book is also a middle grade and I think it I mean this author again I'm sure has been talked about on the show before but I think she does an amazing job of you know telling a story that centers the experiences of people of color and includes you know, the struggles, but also is just so much fun and there's great adventures. It's The Season of Sticks Malone by Kekla Magoon. I love this book so much. It is a young middle grade and it is about two boys, Caleb and Bobby Jean, who are brothers. They live in Indiana, sort of out in the woods. And the book kicks off with them trying to exchange their baby sister for a bag of fireworks. Which you're not supposed to. Yeah, they do actually manage to make the trade. And you can imagine how their parents feel about that. Uh, And so then they get into all sorts of hijinks from the results of this trade, including meeting Sticks Malone, who is sort of wandering around in the woods behind their house and hears of their troubles and offers them a way to get out of it and to get the thing that they want, which is a scooter, but they will never be able to save up enough money to buy it. But he's got, you know, a way for them to get it. And so they embark on this summer long adventure, uh, all with the goal of getting this like scooter moped bike. And along the way, you find out 
Um, some of their family's history with racism and violence, their father has a lot of fears for them that are very justified, but the boys don't really know that or know why. And from Caleb's perspective, he's just a killjoy who doesn't want them to have any fun. Uh, the book also <laughs> addresses class and the foster system. And it's all really beautifully integrated into the heart of the story. And it's so amazing to read as an adult because, you know, Caleb is telling this story and you know, you know, why his father is so concerned with where they go and how they're spending their time. And you know what it means that Styx doesn't have parents in the same way that these kids have parents. But Caleb doesn't know. And the way that he processes that information is just so genuine and open and empathetic. And it's just, oh, it's just so beautifully done. And the ending of this book, like, I get teared up every time I think about it. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it's like a very wonderful, fun summer adventure story that has such a big beating heart and that does address these issues, but so gently and, and, and with such care. So again, that's The Season of Sticks Malone by Kekla Magoon. I'm going to share my last two recommendations quickly. And I feel like. <laughs> It's been the greatest to talk books with you because it's fun to hear people talk about the books you love mm. with love on their tongue while they talk. <laughs> I can hear it. I can hear it, Jen. It's wonderful. Um, I want to share Something Happened in Our Town, A Child's Story of Racial Injustice. Uh, it's got a couple of authors, Marianne uh, Solano, Marietta Collins, and Anne Hazard. It's illustrated by Jennifer uh, Zivion. And it uh, is published through Imagination Press. Um, so those that are aware of Imagination Press, you'll know that those are um, individuals that also um, are school psychologists or work in the field of psychology, helping to um, communicate uh, these big topics in, in, in powerful ways. In this book, as it says in the title, something happens in the town, and uh, we see two children, each with their families, process what happens, a white child and a black child. Um, the text reads, if I can, something ha bad happened in our town. The news was on the TV and the radio and the internet. The grown-ups didn't think the kids knew about it, but the kids in Miss Garcia's class heard some older kids talking about it, and they had questions. After school, Emma asked her mother, why did the police shoot that man? It was a mistake, said her mother. I feel sad for the man and his family. Yes, the police thought he had a gun, said her father. It wasn't a mistake, said her sister Liz. The cops shot him because he was black. Emma was confused. He's brown, not black, she said. And I'm going to stop there because mm -hmm. you can see how this text has one question leading into another. Mm -hmm. And I think that this book does a beautiful job of showing how we can talk about race and racial inequality. It does a great job of showing how we can talk to children about the news without turning off the news but allowing a space to process. Um, and it it is nuanced in the way that it it really wrestles with the complexity of violence, of police violence. Um, I found it to be moving and powerful and, and a wonderful tool for the classroom as well. And the other book I wanted to close my time with is a book that I hand, this is my book, Jen, that I hand to everyone. Mm. It's called We Rise, We Resist, 
We Raise Our Voices. It's edited by Wade Hudson and Cheryl Willis Hudson, uh, who um, are in partnership with Just Us Books. They have a, a, a publishing um, house. This is a, a book that collects poems, stories, songs from 50 of the most diverse children's authors and illustrators. They pose the question in the beginning of the book, in this divisive world, what shall we tell our children? And these authors and illustrators respond with these different pieces. And I'm telling you, when I read this to my classes, I don't read it cover to cover because it's, it's, it's pretty lengthy. Uh, but we flip to random pages, and I'm telling you that you can flip in this book to random pages, and everything you land on lands in this book. Mm. It's called We Rise, We Resist, We Raise Our Voices. And as I said, it's edited by Wade Hudson and Cheryl Willis Hudson. What essential reading those sound like. Whew. Very, very powerful. Did you have... Any others that you wanted to sneak in, even just by title? I know. know. Karina and I got into this all the time, too. Just all we ever want to do is say, oh, but there's there's just one more book. I will will confine myself to one shout out. Um, And this is actually technically for adults, although I think you could absolutely give this to teenagers, but this is not that show. But if you are a grown up who is looking for a good starting point, even I mean, we've there have been so many starting points um, referenced in this show. But one more that I just have to call out is The Fire This Time, which is an essay collection edited by Jessamyn Ward, uh, inspired by The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. And it covers so much ground and is an amazing starting point and has so many incredible authors in it talking about everything from Black Lives Matter to, you know, what are they going to tell their children who are, you know, coming into this world and what challenges their children will face to white fragility to, you know, hopes and dreams for the future? Just everything. It covers everything. And, and I think it is just really an essential work um, and a really wonderful starting point for finding authors who then you should go on and read the rest of their works, which are just so good and so powerful. But I will I will stop there. I have so many, but I'll stop there. <laughs> well. You know, listeners, you know what to do. If there are books that we've missed that you think other folks should know about, on social media, you can just use hashtag KidLit these days and we'll find it and we'll help raise that voice of these books you want to share. And you can also email us at KidLit these days at bookriot.com. So thanks for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast, as mentioned. And we always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find us. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Jen Northington, on Twitter at Jen IRL, that's Jen with two N's, and on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. If you have a story idea, as I said, please do reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or send us an email. Again, it's KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear on the show. And on that note, may your coming days be storied, and may the good stories keep on coming. Keep on coming.